0: The head of foreign policy for the European Union has made a frank admission. The era of Western dominance has ended, and the countries of the global south, which represent the global majority, have increasing economic and political power, and the West can no longer control the entire world. We are firmly in a multipolar system not a unipolar system dominated by the Western powers. These were very striking comments made by the top EU diplomat, Josip Borrell. And in the description below, I have included a link to an article that I have written about this, which includes all of the sources that I'll be discussing today. Josip Borrell said this in an article that he wrote at the official website of the European Union's diplomatic service on the 25th of February. And he revealed that the EU has four main tasks in terms of its geopolitical agenda. And one of those is improving our relations with the global south. The top European diplomat wrote, quote, If the current global geopolitical tensions continue to evolve in the direction of the West against the rest, Europe's future risks to be bleak the era of Western dominance has indeed definitively ended. While this has been theoretically understood, we have not always drawn all practical conclusions from this new reality. In the same article, Borel acknowledged that the wars in Ukraine and Gaza have accelerated this shift, this geopolitical shift, And he added that the anti-colonial uprisings in the Sahel region of Western and Central Africa have also accelerated this shift. And in Burkina Faso, Niger, and Mali, there are nationalist military governments that have come to power opposing the neo-colonialist policies of France, which controls their currencies and largely dominates their economies. And Borel warned that this could be a symbol of things to come, if more countries around the Global South rebel against the Western powers that colonize them. And in this article, the top EU foreign policy official said, quote, many in the Global South accuse us of double standards. And he complained that Russia has managed to take advantage of the situation. Now, Josip Rell is known for sometimes making very frank admissions of inconvenient truths that other diplomats in the EU leave unsaid. And we saw a similar example of this back in 2022, in which the EU foreign policy chief acknowledged that the prosperity of Europe, its economic model, was based on China and Russia. It was based on cheap energy coming from Russia, access to the big China market, and low-paid Chinese workers, but with the Western sanctions and economic war on Russia and the end of Western imports of Russian oil and gas, and furthermore, with the new Cold War against China and the Western sanctions and trade restrictions on China, these policies have been backfiring and devastating the European economy. I have a separate video that I did about that, which I will link to in the description below. But the point to take away here is that inside the European Union, many diplomats and politicians understand that the US and Europe, NATO as a bloc, are dividing the world into two camps of the West against the rest. And some people in Brussels recognize this is actually bad for their long-term interests. It's going to hurt them politically and economically, which is already happening. In fact, we've seen a series of articles in major Western media outlets warning about precisely the same thing. Foreign affairs warned of the West versus the rest. Britain's major newspaper The Guardian published an op-ed titled The World is Splintering Into the West Versus the Rest and That Leaves Us All in More Danger. The article noted that from Gaza and Ukraine to food insecurity, global problems are linked echo chambers, and bubbles won't solve them. Foreign Policy magazine published an article titled The West vs. The Rest, Welcome to the 21st Century Cold War. And it was written by a senior fellow at the very influential Washington-based think tank, the Brookings Institution, Angela Stent. And she's the author of the book titled Putin's World, Russia Against the West and With the Rest. So we see this idea that the West is alienating the rest of the world in the global South. However, recognizing the problem is one thing. Actually working to try to solve it is another. And we have to ask, what is Europe doing to try to prevent this division of the world into the West versus the rest? And if you look at the other comments made by Josep Brel in this same article, you can see that he's doubling down on these very same policies that are making the problem Even worse. So, in the same article, he calls for providing further and further support to Ukraine, warning that Ukraine risks losing ground. So, the West needs to continue this proxy war against Russia. He said, We have to support Ukraine more and we have to do it quicker, in particular regarding artillery ammunition. He said we are witnessing a new kind of war one that evokes the trenches of the first world war and the robots of star wars technology in particular drones and artificial intelligence are shaping the outcome of this war we need to find ways to provide ukraine with the latest technological developments and he pledged that the eu will provide ukraine with long-term security commitments And at the same time, Burrell emphasized that Europe needs to deepen its relations with the United States and strengthen NATO. He said, Europe has gone through a long period of silent disarmament, gradually losing military capacity, while our defense industry has been shrinking dangerously. He added that for the past 10 years, our defense budgets have been growing again, and we must sustain these efforts in cooperation with key partners, and in particular, the U.S., And the recent months have showed how important NATO remains to our collective defense. So calling for expanding military spending in Europe, deepening cooperation with the United States, and strengthening NATO— But all this is doing is exacerbating the problem, which was acknowledged by an influential European think tank called the European Council on Foreign Relations, which published a white paper in 2023 warning of the art of vassalization of Europe, warning that Europe is becoming an American vassal and the war in Ukraine has, has showed Europeans' profound dependence on the U.S. for their security. So, Josep Borrell, the EU foreign policy chief, has recognized that the era of Western dominance has ended, and he notes the importance of not dividing the world into the West against the rest, and yet he is doubling down on the very same policies that are politically, economically, and militarily subordinating Europe to the United States, and strengthening this transatlantic imperialist bloc that continuously goes against the will of the rest of the world. One of the clearest ways to see this is to look at votes in the United Nations General Assembly. And here I have a chart, and the vertical line of the chart shows the average vote in the UN General Assembly of all of the countries on earth. And if you look, you can see that The West constantly votes as a bloc against the rest of the world, and in particular, the United States is a massive outlier, constantly voting against the rest of the world, and Europe largely votes together, and it votes with the U.S., And there are only a few outliers, like in the Middle East and North Africa, Israel is one of the main outliers. In the Americas, Colombia, historically, was one of the outliers. But the vast majority of countries in the United Nations General Assembly vote together. And these are countries in the Global South, in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. And by the way, this chart shows that China votes with the Global South, with the majority of the world population consistently, and China's vote is frequently close to the world average in the UN, whereas the West is completely against the world average. Here is another chart which is even more striking. This looks at the votes of the United States in the UN General Assembly, and it found that only around one-third of the time, 32.7% of the time, the United States voted with the majority of the world in the U.N. General Assembly in the 30 years from 1983 until 2012. And in some years, like in 1988, the United States only voted 15.4% of the time with the other countries, the majority of countries in the U.N. General Assembly. This is the definition of being a rogue state. The USA constantly violates the will of the international community, and again, the only region of the world that consistently joins the U.S. in voting against the rest of the world is Europe. So this is the embodiment of the West against the rest, and Europe claims that they are concerned about this and don't want to continue this geopolitical division, and yet they're continuing to carry it out with their policies, with their actions. So again, we should always look at politicians' actions and not just their words. Here at Geopolitical Economy Report, I have documented constantly the votes in the UN General Assembly in which the West is against the rest of the world. Back in November of 2023, the West voted against the rest of the world on resolutions and the West opposed democracy, human rights, and cultural diversity, and the West voted against the rest of the world in support of mercenaries and unilateral coercive measures, which are known as sanctions. I will link to that in the description below. I did a video and a report documenting that. In April of 2023, there was another very similar vote, this time in the United Nations Human Rights Council, in which the West voted against the rest of the world. The West supported sanctions, unilateral coercive measures, which violate international law, whereas the majority of the UN Human Rights Council, represented by the global majority, the countries of the global South, they voted against sanctions in defense of international law. And another flagrant example of this is every single year, the UN General Assembly holds a vote on the call for a new international economic order. This is something that the countries of the global south have been demanding for 50 years. This year, 2024, is the 50th anniversary of the call going back to 1974 in which the formerly colonized nations of the Global South demanded a new international order. And in these resolutions in the General Assembly, the Global South calls for this new international economic order to be based on respect for sovereignty, equality, sustainable development, and biological diversity, things that all should be uncontroversial, and yet every single year the Western imperialist nations vote against them because this is the reality of the geopolitical order, which is a Western imperial dictatorship led by the United States. This is the US-led imperialist world system predicated on the super exploitation of the formerly colonized countries in the global south, whose economies largely revolve around the export of raw materials and low value added products in very labor intensive industries. And their cheap labor is exploited by multinational corporations concentrated in the west, in the global north, in the colonizing nations, whose economies are in turn predicated on the export of high-value-added products, of capital-intensive industries, and their wages are significantly higher, and the goal of these imperialist nations concentrated in the West is to depress the wages of the Global South to keep them trapped in cycles of dependency, And if you look at a map of the countries in the core of the world system, they are the West, the colonizing nations, the imperialist nations. And if you look at the countries in the periphery, they are the countries that were colonized in the global South. And if you look at the semi-peripheral nations that are economically transforming and moving out of the periphery, they are the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, along with some of the developing economies, like in Iran, Indonesia, they are gradually moving out of the underdevelopment and poverty that was imposed on them through centuries of colonial exploitation. And this explains the geopolitical conflicts in the world today. What we're seeing is fundamentally a continuation of the national liberation struggles, the decolonization struggles of the global south, that formally ended political colonialism formal colonialism in the 1950s 60s and 70s and yet a system of neo-colonialism continued in which their economies were dominated and in some ways controlled and exploited by the western capitalist nations and what we're seeing in this new cold war is a struggle of the western imperialist nations led by the united states trying to prevent the global south from transforming the international economic order, from creating a new international economic order. And the global south nations are essentially being led by China. Now, China is not imposing its hegemony like the US, but The fact is, the de facto leader of the Global South is China, because China has become the world's largest economy, China has become the world's manufacturing superpower, and China's attempt to end the economic subordination of its own country and the rest of the Global South is leading to these geopolitical tensions, which is essentially a crisis of the imperialist world system And the Western powers are trying to maintain their economic hegemony, which is why the US Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo has said explicitly that the US needs to work with Europe to slow down China's innovation because this is how the West can keep the economies of the global South trapped in this cycle of dependency by preventing them from developing their own advanced technologies so they are dependent on the advanced technologies produced by the West and in particular by the United States, especially as Europe has become more and more a vassal of the United States. And the Greek economist, Yanis Varoufakis, has pointed out, and I agree with his analysis, that Europe does not have any of this advanced technology, what he calls cloud capital, that the United States has created. And in this new era of the fourth industrial revolution, Europe is not only having its security subordinated to the United States, but also its economy subordinated to the United States and these big tech corporations concentrated in Silicon Valley. So what we're really seeing at the end of the day is a struggle by the formerly colonized nations of the Global South with the de facto leadership of China to end a U.S. global dictatorship, a Western economic and political dictatorship, but which is really led by the US, an imperialist dictatorship to transform this world system to make it actually more democratic, economic democracy, and not a global economic dictatorship controlled by the United States. And the fact that the foreign policy chief of the EU has acknowledged that the era of Western dominance has ended is I think very important. And it reflects this world historic shift in the global economy. However, as I've been saying today in my analysis, I'm clearly skeptical of the capacity of Europe to actually take tangible action to change course. Because rhetorically, recognizing this reality is one thing. It's becoming increasingly obvious for the entire world. But actually taking action to change policy is another And I do not see evidence of the European Union actually meeting its words with the actions that are necessary. And that's why I expect the geopolitical conflict to get worse, not better over time, as even Foreign Policy magazine, the establishment mouthpiece of Washington, has acknowledged, welcome to the 21st century Cold War of the West versus the rest. And by the way, briefly here, I want to explain the importance of the term Global South and what that really means. Now, in his blog post, Brell was clearly skeptical of the term Global South. He repeatedly put it in scare quotes and he said that it could mean different things. But Global South is a term that is used by the vast majority of the countries on Earth, which are located in the Global South, which represent the global majority of the world population. And at the United Nations and in organizations like the BRICS Block or the Group of 77, the G77, or in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization or in Latin American organizations like the CELAC, it is very common to use the term Global South. And this is not only a geographical term. If you look at a map, yes most of the countries that are developing that were formerly colonized by the western powers are located in the south but some critics of this term have said well if you look at simply the latitude on a map china northern china and central asia are located at the same latitude as europe and the united states so how can you call them the south well you could say the same thing about the West. What is the West? Is it only the United States and Europe? What about Australia and New Zealand? Like the term Global South, West is not simply geographical. It is a political construct. So yes, many of the countries in the collective West are physically located in the West of the map, at least when we look at Western style maps. But Australia and New Zealand, which were formed as British settler colonies, are also very much part of the political West. And what about Japan? Japan is part of the G7 group of the wealthy colonial powers. And Japan, along with South Korea, frequently vote with the West against the rest of the world at the United Nations, opposing the Global South. So again, it's important to understand that terms like the West or the Global South are political constructs that are rooted in geography, but they're not solely geographical. In fact, if you look at a map, Where is the West actually located? Behind me, I have a map from China, and in China and some parts of Asia, most of the world maps put Eurasia on the Western part of the map, on the left side. So in this map, which is common across Asia, where is the West actually? Obviously, Earth is a sphere, it's round. There is not only one direction that is the West. If you're in the West and you keep going West across the Pacific, you're in Asia. Global South has become a term that is very popular among formerly colonized countries. It is a political project trying to unify these countries so they can develop economically and resist imperialism and neocolonialism. And this was made clear by China's foreign minister, Wang Yi. He said, China will always be a member of the Global South. Similarly, in a speech that Brazil's president, Lula da Silva, gave in Ethiopia this February, he was speaking to African leaders, and Lula emphasized the importance of the project of global south unity. He called to further integrate the economies of Latin America and Africa, and he said, this is the world we need to create, which I call the global south. It is the new world that is in front of us, in front of our eyes, And Lula added, we were once known around the planet as poor countries, then as third world countries, then as developing countries, then semi-developed countries. Now we are developing countries. No, sir, we are now the economy of the global south. We want to give ourselves a chance so that the global south, which has part of what the world needs today, can occupy its place in the economy, in politics, and in world." culture. And then he added that the BRICS is an exceptional opportunity to help integrate the Global South. And he called for bringing more African countries into BRICS and also participating in the the G20, the group of 20 nations. He also mentioned that the Global South should have more of a discussion of the IMF and the World Bank, which are dominated by the United States, And it should ask whether these institutions will serve to help finance the development of poor countries or whether they will continue to suffocate poor countries. So here we can see clearly how the idea of the global South is a very important political project for unity of the formerly colonized nations. Previously, the term used was third world. Today, third world often has very negative connotations, but when it was created it was originally not meant to be a negative term and anti-colonial and anti-imperialist leaders discussed the differences between the first second and third world in terms of their relations in the world system the global capitalist system and the third world countries were the nations that were colonized by the wealthy capitalist imperialist countries so third world unity was part of a political struggle against imperialism and capitalism However, over time, especially after the overthrow of the Soviet Union and the socialist bloc, which was considered part of the second world, after the first cold war with the change in geopolitics, those terms shifted and formerly colonized countries began to promote the idea of the global south. I just wanted to briefly explain the importance of that because I often get questions about it and sometimes people can be confused. This is why I created Geopolitical Economy Report And this is exactly what I analyze here every single week to try to understand these very important geopolitical and economic shifts. I want to thank everyone for joining me today. I'm Ben Norton, the editor-in-chief of Geopolitical Economy Report. Please like and subscribe if you're watching this video on YouTube. If you prefer listening to these videos as a podcast, check out the Geopolitical Economy Report podcast. Once again, I want to thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next time.